steps to productive soil. To many people, the soil is kind of a, a mystery, you know, and they have ideas of what to do and square foot gardening and this and that, and they put the stuff on and then they kind of cross their fingers and hope it'll work. So we want to know when we plant something, it's going to produce like this, okay? And I must say, most of this, the credit for this, this was taken back in the 90s at Eden Valley Institute, one of our training programs. And I must say, most of the credit for this would be to my brother Joel, because he did this um, organic soil building program for years before I showed up there at Eden Valley. And of course, he would say that the major credit goes to God, you know, because it says in Christ's object lesson that our part in spiritual things and in other things is so small compared to God's part, which is so big you can't even compare to it, see? So the sun, the soil, the microbes, the subatomic particles, he's got them all going right. And we just need to know how to cooperate. And the better you are at cooperating, the better garden you're going to have, see? Yeah. And here's a quote that really um, challenges me from Fundamentals of Christian Education that says, false witness has been born in condemning land which, if properly worked, would yield rich returns. That's what we want. When you're picking stuff out of your garden, you want your kids to feel, wow, we're rich. You know, this is God's prosperity plan. Okay, you may not have very much money, but true riches, you can feel it. Say, wow, look at all the peppers on one plant, you know. The narrow plans, the little strength put forth, the little study, that's what we're going to do today, as to the best methods, call loudly for reform. There's some parts of my garden calling loudly for reform, okay? And people say, oh, that's too hard. Oh, what you're sharing is too complicated, Steve. Well, we want the best methods, okay? But what I'm going to try to share with you is the full spectrum of maybe more simple and then what you can do as, um, you know, you get into it. Okay? Um, people need to learn that patient labor will do wonders. It's work, I'll tell you, to build the soil. There is much mourning over unproductive soil when if men would read the Old Testament scriptures, they would see that the Lord knew much better than they in regard to the treatment of the land. And then it goes on to talk about resting the land. I guess you just read that last part there um, in part of Joel's presentation. Now, that's kind of a rebuking statement, that one we just read, okay? Uh, Call loudly for reform. But this is a really encouraging one from volume six of the Testimonies 178. We should work the soil cheerfully, hopefully, gratefully, believing that the earth holds in her bosom rich stores for the faithful worker to garner, stores richer than gold or silver. And then there's a few dots in there. With proper intelligent cultivation, the earth will yield its treasures for the benefit of man. The mountains and the hills are changing. The earth is waxing old like a garment, but the blessing of God, which spreads a table for his people in the wilderness, will never cease. Boy, those are the kind of statements you just want to get together and just have them when you're trying to move out and make the land produce and all. You need all the encouragement you can get. And so we want the land to really, uh, we want to know how to really make the land produce, cooperate uh, with God and 
and uh, reap those, those uh, treasures re richer than gold or silver. And as Joel probably told you, our family growing up, we were part of the Great Advent Movement before we ever be, my parents ever became Seventh-day Adventists. My dad kind of followed the cloud, which meant every two to four years we were moving. We had to, and we had to have a garden. We always rented, okay, land or rented a house, and it had to have land for a garden. That was much more important than the amenities of the house was that it had a place for a garden. And my parents had grown up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and they knew what it took to get the land tuned up fast. And we went and we found some source of manure. We put it on there because it had to produce that year. It wasn't, you know, of course, it takes time for soil to really build up and it really to become, you know, a good texture, loamy soil, okay? But uh, so we learned just, um, you know, it was almost prenatal influences what it took to get the soil from point A to point B. Yeah, yeah we were out there digging that stuff out of the chicken barn or whatever. Here's the steps to productive soil. Many people want me to come look at their garden, diagnose their garden's problem, just walking over their garden. The first thing I would say is you need massive amounts of organic matter. So today I'm just kind of imagining I'm touring your garden and that's probably the first thing I would say, okay? Just the feel of the soil under your feet when you spade it up and feel it, does it feel crumbly and loamy? It, if it doesn't, it needs massive amounts of organic matter. Of course, you can test the soil. We're going to talk about that. And one of the things on a good test, it'll tell you the percent organic matter. And Neil Kinsey, the one that I usually use for soil testing, he says if your organic matter isn't uh, above 2.5%, your microbes are on a starvation diet. And they're really the unpaid workers that make everything uh, work like it should in the soil. And of course, it's hard to know which one of these is, should be number one and number two and all, but um, balance the nutrients, it should be right up there. Proper tillage, so it's good aeration and the roots can go deep. Then manage nitrogen, that goes along with the nutrients, but it's something to really think about separately. Grow a green manure to just, again, stimulate the microbes, that fresh green matter. Of course, a green manure, just green plants that you grow to till in to take the place of manure, you might say green manure, okay? And of course, organic matter, just so we know what our terms are his, our terms are here, is uh, anything that came from a plant or an animal, okay? There's more technical definitions, but that works for me. So that could be oak leaves, lettuce leaves, horse manure, anything like that. Uh, and as it breaks down, it breaks down into um, what we call humus. It's a brown, spongy material that um, makes everything work better in the soil. And then, of course, you've already talked about resting the land, and of course, prayer, that should be right up at the top, right? Before, after, in between uh, type of thing. Amen. Okay, here's a little bit about organic matter. Um, and when we say organic matter, we're kind of, you know, putting organic matter and and the end product, which is humus and all the good things it does in the soil, kind of lumping it all together. It improves the soil structure. If you have a um, clay soil that just packs, it'll loosen it up and make it more crumbly, okay, and so forth. And then if uh, 
you have a sandy soil, it will help it to bind it more and help it to hold more water. Okay, and it'll actually make the clay soil. So it, uh, because of making it more pore space in there, actually better drainage and aeration. And of course it feeds the microbes and they break the organic matter down into stable humus, which is like a bank account for your plants. It holds the nutrients available to the plants, but relatively so it won't be leached out. You know, most of the time we just think, oh, there's kind of like a nutrient soup down there in the soil and the plants when they need something, they just take a sip. Well, there is a nutrient solution in the soil, but the major way that the nutrients are held is by this attraction to the soil particles. The soil particles have a negative charge and the nutrients, the, the nutrients like calcium, magnesium, and so forth that will raise your pH, they have a positive charge. And so they're held there, uh, protected from leaching, but when your plants need it, they exchange it with the plant. Uh, the plant exchanges with the soil particles for some uh, nutrients. So uh, the humus is great stuff. The more humus you have in your soil, the more holding capacity your soil has, along with the clay also has that same holding capacity. And of course, um, the middle one there, source of plant nutrients, as the organic matter breaks down, all those nutrients that were in those plants or whatever, breaks down and is released to the next generation of, uh, of plants. Okay, here's source of organic matter. Um, the easiest one is your crop residues, okay? Don't throw them in the dumpster, uh, burn them, whatever. No, till them in, recycle them if they're too, you know, they're going to be too roughed and you want to prepare a carrot bed. Well, take that organic matter, put it in the compost pile, always recycle it, okay? Green manures, again, you grow it right in place. And, and till it in. Just be careful it doesn't get too big or you can have a hard time tilling it in. Of course, weeds, they're free organic matter. Just don't let them uh, go to seed, okay? Till them in or compost them. Um, of course, compost is really great because it's sort of like pre-digested organic matter. And so it has a lot of available nutrients. So it's feeding your plants with nutrition and building the long-term organic percentage in your soil at the same time. So when we say compost, that could be um, composted manure or actually this afternoon my son will be telling you about how to make vegetarian compost. Okay, because we usually think of compost as just composted manure. You don't have to, because I'm trying to get away from some of those, dealing with some of that animal products. And so um, we'll tell you all about that this afternoon. And then of course manure, best if composted. Hey, just be careful about weed seeds, but to be honest, a lot of parts of my garden have so many weed seeds in them already that a few more weed seeds. Um, yeah, but uh, I use many times hay and straw as a mulch, and then over the season it breaks down in the fall, I till it in, and by the next year it's all broken down, it's not gonna cause me a problem there. Straw, same thing. And just remember, it's, straw is quite low in nitrogen, so if you just tilled it into your soil, it could tie up the nitrogen. If you use it as a mulch, it'll break down over time or use it in your compost pile. Leaves are great as a mulch, okay, or 
uh, sheet composted, whereas if you're really in an aggressive soil building mode, it, to get all this done with composting, sometimes we don't have enough, we never have enough compost. So you just spread, like Joel was telling, just spread those materials out, say in the fall, till them in, and by the next spring, they've pretty well broken down. When you till for your spring tillage, it, you know, it turns into good, um, fine, organic material in there. Leaf mold, that's another thing you can use, especially in a small garden, but just remember it's low in pH, low in nitrogen, so you may, may need something to balance it out, okay? Just like in the compost pile, you mix materials. And one time in Alabama, I found this big pile of um, sawdust, okay? Very low in nitrogen. If you put very much sawdust on your garden, it will just soak up the nitrogen. So, but it was very good long-term stable organic matter. So I took that big mountain of sawdust and I spread it over about a half an acre of soil in the fall, garden in the fall, and I may put it on two inches thick, and then I put on a half an inch of chicken manure, which is very high in nitrogen. I tilled the whole thing in, planted a rye cover crop. Looking out there during the winter, I saw, wow, that cover crop looks pretty nice and green. Not a lot of yellow leaves, like in purple, like it's just struggling, you know. So that was sort of my nitrogen test. To, oh yeah, I got the nitrogen about right, so that the, the, there's still some there after the sawdust soaked it all up. And so uh, you just always want to keep that in mind when you're putting on organic matter. Um, and we'll talk about that on here. Kitchen scraps, yeah, they're kind of gloppy, so they're best composted. But in Alabama, they had a rule against uh, piles of what they call garbage. And so we just uh, did, we just dug the, the um, kitchen scraps into the garden. And it was very sandy there, so that worked pretty well. In a heavier clay soil, it can be so wet, and there's not enough air down in there to break down the garbage. You know, just kind of, yeah. Okay, and then food processing waste. You know, in the United States and all over the developed world, and all over the world, there's just organic matter that's just being wasted. You know, down in Alabama, Tom's Peanuts, we got all these truckloads of peanut hulls. In Belize, sugarcane waste, soybean pulp from making tofu, rice hulls in Dominican Republic. Wherever you go, you just, you know, we have this reticular activating system somewhere in our brain, and it's to keep you from, you know, getting distracted by the frog in the ditch instead of focusing on the driving or whatever. So you tune out the billboards, okay, and you tune in the organic matter. Suddenly you see, wow, all these organic resources, and you just ask about them, you know, share a few cantaloupes with those people at the end of the season or something, and um, it's really a great, you know, witnessing thing, yeah. Okay, and here it kind of gives you this idea of what are the high nitrogen materials. They're kind of like the, I mean, low nitrogen materials, I'm sorry. They're kind of the straw, woody, brown, straw-like materials, like straw, sawdust. Uh, yeah, I usually wouldn't use sawdust or recommend it. Leaves, um, corn stalks, we could put those on there, probably 80 to 1. And that first number is the carbon, okay? And then the last number is always a 1. So if you see a big number like 400, it means very low in nitrogen and very high in carbon. And um, then if you see numbers like this, you know it's 
higher in nitrogen because the carbon numbers are smaller. Clover, 15 to 1. Manure can be actually anywhere from 7 to 1 on chicken manure up to 20 to 1 maybe on cow manure. And then a lot of times, you know, you go to a horse farm to get manure and it's all mixed with wood shavings. So it's probably closer to 30 to 50. 30 to 40 to 1 maybe, but most of the time you just pile that up and it makes a wonderful compost pile because it starts heating up and so it, you know it's uh, already mixed material for you. But you just get that in your head, green materials high in nitrogen or if it's from protein like some beans or something like that. Joel's used a lot of bean splits from a place there in um, Colorado that was near Monument Valley an excellent um, nitrogen fertilizer source because uh, central to the protein molecule is a nitrogen. And um, then of course anything that comes from an animal seems to be high in nitrogen. So you just want to keep that in mind uh, so you don't make these common mistakes that people make when they're trying to they read these organic books, you know, and they get all excited about building their organic matter and they add large amounts of low nitrogen organic matter to the soil without balancing it with high nitrogen uh, materials. And uh, when I was at UG Pines, people would get into, they'd be reading these books and they'd put all this wood shavings and sawdust and we had a lot of uh, pine needles and stuff there and they'd till that all into their bed. Boy, their, their beds felt like the Garden of Eden soil, just all so puffy and everything, but it, it soaked up all the nitrogen. They'd plant their tomatoes and they'd turn all yellow because they didn't have any nitrogen. And then they start getting black spots, the opportunistic you know, fungus was now just on those leaves that were dying anyway. And so they come to me, oh, Steve, I have, I've got a terrible disease. What do I do? So after a while, I didn't have to go look at their garden. I just say, well, you went and you're reading those books, right? Yeah, of course, I believe in those organic books, but they didn't read the whole book, maybe, or something. And I'd say, yeah, and you put that all in your soil, and then and, and this and this. I said, well, just go get some nitrogen, put it on there. Uh, could be chemical fertilizer, but I'd recommend uh, organic fertilizer, alfalfa meal or pellets or soybean meal or something like that and just dig a little trench around there and do some rescue chemistry, you know. <laughs> Get some Peter's fertilizer, yeah, that's the ultimate chemical fertilizer and uh, resurrect your tomato plants. See, they were dying a disease not because of disease but because so little nitrogen. So if you uh, know that caution, it'll save you a lot of trouble. And then, of course, just a practical thing of uh, another mistake, adding large amounts of rough organic material just before you plant. You know, if you're trying to plant carrots and oh, this trashy stuff, so that's not the time to try to put in a lot of rough stuff. It'll tie up your nutrients like nitrogen and it'll just interfere with uh, planting there. Okay, this uh, chart can kind of give you an idea. You're saying, well, you know, what, what is the real idea here? Okay, how do I picture this? How much to put on or something? And of course, there's so many different materials that you could use that, you know, but this kind of just gives you an idea, okay? And this comes out of Elliot Coleman's book, uh, New Organic Grower. It's kind of for market gardeners, but he also has another one called Four Season Harvest which is for uh, more like home gardeners and, um, and also it 
tells you how to, to grow um, salads year-round in a cold frame or whatever, which I'll be talking about this afternoon. So here, uh, if your soil is, you know, low in fertility, you could think a good application would be 40 tons of the acre, and then if you're doing it on a garden scale, a thousand square feet or a hundred square feet. Some of us are just doing a postage stamp garden, aren't we? Okay, so one ton, how would you picture that of compost might be a, or rod of manure or whatever, might be a, a pickup, pickup load, okay? And then 200 pounds for 100 square feet would be um, maybe two wheelbarrows full, okay? Because I just have to simplify it down for my, for my brain, okay? And um, then this was kind of a recipe type thing, which is okay, you know, but um, if you really want to um, make sure that you're putting on what your soil really needs instead of putting on something that it doesn't need or even putting on nutrients that it already has too much of, you really need to do a soil test, okay? But this is kind of a, uh, kind of a shotgun approach or a rule of thumb, you know, of what, what you could do if you didn't have uh, maybe uh, a soil test. And then here is just what you might do as a maintenance, um, maintenance application, you know, year by year of the compost. And you see down here the fine print underneath, which you always want to read the fine print, says, um, you don't necessarily have to put that uh, rock phosphate to supply the phosphorus if your soil indicates that you already have enough uh, phosphorus or uh, potassium. If it has plenty of potassium, you wouldn't need to put the green sand because that's a, a source of, um, of potassium. And of course, to know how much lime to put on to adjust your pH, you really need to uh, do a soil test, okay? Um, and then uh, put the, the lime on uh, according to the soil test. Most soil tests, though, that you get from just, uh, oh, maybe extension service or university, they'll tell you uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. That's the big three nutrients that most people know about, okay? And then pH. But there's many other nutrients that your plant needs, okay? It needs boron, zinc, uh, iron, copper, and of course it needs uh, calcium, magnesium, all those. And so um, I really encourage people to get a more in-depth soil test that will help you to really uh, balance the nutrients in your soil, because the soil works a lot better if it has a certain balance of nutrients rather than just a simplistic soil test that tells you the pH and the, um, the NPK, okay? But um, when I was 10 years old, my gardening teacher gave me a rule of thumb, which I've used a lot, it kind of goes along with this, and that is if you're growing um, a crop that, that um, has big leafy green leaves like corn or cabbage, broccoli or something like that, you want to make sure it has plenty of nitrogen. Okay, because that's what is very important to have green. If it's yellow, it means it doesn't have enough nitrogen usually. And uh, so nitrogen for things that big, green, leafy. And then um, potassium 
for, uh, I should say, phosphorus for things you want to grow sweet fruits like tomatoes or what. Many times we put some uh, rock phosphate in the hole and mix it in with the compost when we plant our tomatoes to help it to be earlier. And uh, phosphorus, you know, if you study uh, cell biology or whatever, it's uh, what moves the sugar around in the cell is uh, ATP, ADP and ATP, okay? Adenosine triphosphate, okay? So that is, uh, if you want to have sweet uh, fruits and vegetables, you want your kids to really like those beets, then you want to, um, and then uh, the uh, potassium, uh, <clears throat> you want to emphasize potassium for, for your root crops. That would be like carrots, beets, potatoes, those kind of things. And so if you just kind of use that rule of thumb in the back of your mind whenever you're planting that kind of thing, you just make sure that, you know, that particular part of your garden has adequate of that. And of course the soil test helps you to know for sure uh, that you have uh, done your homework, you might say. Okay, then uh, this is the number two point in our steps to productive soil. We built the organic matter. That's just kind of like the foundation that makes everything else work better. It makes whatever nutrients are there much more available to the plants because the microbes produce these chelating agents, which are just big sugars, that hook on to especially the trace elements. Many times they might be there in the soil, but they have a hard time getting into the plant. And so these chelates come up to the root of the plant, up to the door of the plant, you might say. They ring the doorbell, the, root, the plant opens the door for the chelate, and the chelate just takes that zinc or whatever that would ordinarily be locked up in the soil, makes it available to the plant. So organic matter makes everything work better. And then you're ready to start figuring out, okay, what do I need to put on my soil so it has, as far as nutrition, everything it needs? Some people are all about nutrition. The university people are all about putting on the chemistry, okay, the nutrients here. Um, but they don't emphasize the organic part. But the organic people many times are just emphasizing organic matter. You just blindly put on these organic materials and you just live happily ever after, okay? But if you do both, you make sure there's plenty of organic matter to be the food for the microbes and the power for the soil, energy for the soil, and you put the nutrients there, then you're really in the driver's seat, okay? And the kind of soil test that I recommend is what's called a, here a CEC soil test, which stands for cation exchange capacity. And that is the, um, those are the positively charged nutrients like calcium, magnesium, potassium, um, actually sodium is one of those two. And those are all the ones that raise your pH, okay? And this is the balance that you want to have. Most soil tests is just sufficient to get you through the growing season, okay? But what you're wanting to do is to sort of fill up this bank account with a certain, or this bucket, the CEC is like how big a bucket your soil has or how big a vault in the bank it has to hold nutrients. And you want this filled up with a certain balance of, uh, of nutrients, which you see here. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a cation, it's an anion, okay? Oh. 
and it's held more in the soil in association with the nitrogen with the organic matter which i've been telling about but when you're dealing with this balancing this cation exchange capacity of the soil you're dealing with those potassium calcium magnesium and also the percent hydrogen is just what is the ph okay and many people think of okay we'll just get the ph right and that's what the soil test is a little cheap soil test you get from the extension service oh your ph is about it should be about you know 6.5 to 6.8 oh it's right there that's fine 6.7 okay well don't even worry about putting on any lime but actually the pH might be up real high because of a lot of potassium in your soil. Your soil may have way too much potassium, but not enough calcium. So your cucumbers will taste bitter, okay? And your watermelons, if it's a little dry, they'll just shrivel on the end because they don't have enough calcium, okay? And different things like that. So Neil Kinsey, what he'll tell you, and you see this in human health many times, is if you get the balance of these nutrients, the pH will end up right there where it's supposed to be, okay? But sometimes you need to just ignore the pH and say, hey, we need some calcium there uh, because it's way low and that's the king of the nutrient or whatever, queen of the nutrients. And so um, at different soils have different exchange capacity. A sandy soil is very low capacity, okay? A 7-ME, we, we measure it by that. And a clay soil, and it has a lot of clay and humus in it, has a big capacity to hold. So you have to put a lot more in to fill it up so and so much, okay? And so you need somebody doing your soil test who has a certain level of sophistication, can kind of, you know, you don't even need to remember most of the stuff I'm telling you. You just find the right person to do your soil test. You send that soil off to them. They do all the number crunching and all the brain work. And they tell you exactly what you need to put on your soil to have the best um, nutrient quality, okay, and the best disease resistance and the best yield, okay? And so it's very, very important. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, especially the health part, okay? <clears throat> okay, so here you can see maybe on the right would be um, uh, sandy soil, uh, might have only a 12 milliequivalent capacity, and so it takes just a little bit of lime to get it from a pH of 5.5 to 6 or whatever, 6.5, 6.8, but uh, over here on the left, the clay soil has a big capacity, and so to change its pH, it takes, it takes uh, more. So you're, you're dealing with the capacity there. You just picture that. Okay, now we're going to talk about taking the soil sample because uh, that's very important. That is your part to do. Okay, and if you don't do that right, all the money you spend on the soil test would be wasted. You want to use a clean container, clean tools, okay, um, because, uh, and, and you want to be careful not to handle it because, you know, if you have sweat on your hands, that's sodium, that'll throw this whole thing off, okay? And uh, peanut butter, that's nitrogen, okay, and other nutrients, okay? And I usually put a plastic bag into the bucket just to make sure, and I put it in the plastic bag, see? So it's really clean, <clears throat> and you sample to the, the 
average tilling depth, which is about seven inches, or whatever's recommended by the lab, because they're figuring on you know, how much it's going to take to make the right parts per million in that plow layer, or whatever. And you want to take 10 to 20 probes and just a random thing back through your gar across your garden, and you want to stay away from anything that uh, is different, where there's been a compost pile, pile of lime, fence rows, uh, where you had maybe squash and melon hills, and you put a whole bunch of compost under that. Well, you just stay away from it. You want it to be the, really a, a true picture of the general soil that needs to be improved, okay? And then you mix that thoroughly, and I just roll that, take that bag out of the bucket, and I just roll it around and munch the lumps through the bag, and so I don't even have to touch it, okay? And then I um, send one cup to the lab. Some labs, two cups, but Neil Kinsey, he only needs one, one cup. And here we're taking the, the sample with a professional soil probe. This was at Eden Valley Institute. And, but this is what I do a lot of times, is I dig it up with a clean shovel, okay? Make a nice hole, and then I just slice down the side of the hole. And then I make a butter stick, okay? You see I'm cutting that with a stainless steel knife I borrowed from my wife's uh, kitchen. And, uh, and uh, you don't want to take a lot of the trash from the top, okay? Because that might be, uh, I just kind of scrape that off, because the rabbit might have, you know, come hopping through there just before I was taking this or something. And that's why you want to take multiple samples, so if there's something different, it'll sort of average, average out. Okay, there's another way you can do it. Dig the hole and then just scrape with a spoon up the side. Okay, and again, then you just throw it in your bucket. You never have to touch it type of thing. Okay, and here's what you'll get back, a, a, a report like this. And it just tells you, you know, how much, uh, let's say right here on phosphates, how much you have, the value found, and, uh, and uh, how much you need. Well, here on this thing from, this from Colorado, I think, we actually had more phosphorus than we needed. So they're not recommending any rock phosphate or any phosphorus, but something most people don't even think about is sulfur. Put sulfur on your, yeah, soil. Plants need sulfur, and many times they're deficient and not as resistant to disease or not as productive because of not enough sulfur. And here for nitrogen, it tells you, if you tell them you're doing it for a garden, they'll tell you recommendation for 1,000 square feet instead of for the acre. Otherwise, you get it for acre, and then you have to divide it by, you know, uh, 40, there's 43,000 square feet in acre, so you divide it by 40 or 43 to get per 1,000 square feet. But if you're doing it in a garden level, you just tell them that. And they'll tell you exactly how much to put on, so it's not very complicated or anything. You let them do all the complicated stuff. And here it tells the exchange capacity of your soil. It tells you the balance there is between calcium and magnesium. That's the most important ratio between the two. It tells you the pH. tells you the humus content. Hey, this is pretty good. 4%. Down in Alabama, where it's hot and sandy, it just burns up the organic matter. I was just happy if I could get 3% organic matter. But further north in a heavier soil, you can get 4, 5, 6% organic matter is a good. And then this is what you're really interested in, is this right here, not the actual pounds per acre, but the percentage of the 
cation exchange capacity that's filled up with calcium, the percentage that's filled up with magnesium, and so and so forth. And they calculate that all, and then they give you exactly what to put on. And here's what you should put on for the, the this was high calcium lime, and then this was dolomite lime. That's a kind of lime that has magnesium in it. If you go down to the garden center and say, I want lime, they'll give you dolomite lime. Okay, they don't know anything about this. And so your soil might already have plenty of magnesium and you're putting even more on. That'll make your clay soil even more sticky, okay? Yeah. And uh, it takes more nitrogen to produce the same uh, crop of corn. And, but they, you know, they're back in the dark ages, see? And so you say, no, I want high calcium lime, okay? And you get on the phone, make those five phone calls to find what you don't, you know, find those weird organic farmers and they'll tell you where to find this kind of stuff, okay? And then down here, the trace elements, that's very important. Uh, and on this soil, all we needed was 7.25 uh, ounces of borax. And you can get that from Walmart, 20, 20 mule team borax, you know, it's just a white powder and you just you need know, to mix it with sand so that you can spread it because that's not very much to spread over 1,000 square feet. And you spread half of it this direction and you spread half of it this direction to really get you know, an even uh, spread. Okay, and here's just another, um, another uh, example. This one needed more, more trace elements. Boy, I don't know what's happening to my light here. Down at the bottom there, you can see it tells you again exactly uh, what you need of copper. This one needed copper and iron and boron, but no zinc and no manganese. And I can tell you from testing soil really all over the world that just about every soil you'll find it has one or two, uh, at least one or two trace elements that are very deficient. Okay, and so that's very important for health, you know. Uh, if you go to the health food store and looking for boron, what will you be seeing there on the pill bottle? What does it usually say, boron? What does it have to do with in your health? It's usually things like osteotrace, okay, it's for joint problems, joint pains, okay. Well, put it on your soil, then it'll go into the plants. It's a much nicer way to eat your boron than in those, you know, pills. A lot yeah. of those are synthetics as well. They have synthetic, yeah, that's true. synthetic minerals, synthetic aminos. Yeah, and some of them just go right through you because they're, they're just dolomite lime, okay? And it doesn't absorb very well anyway, so it's just a Walmart pill. And uh, then iron is very important with taking the other nutrients in. And uh, copper uh, is very important for strengthening the smooth muscle like of the aorta to protect you against aortic aneurysms. You know, it's the kind of thing where you just, you just gone, it blew out. So, so if, yeah, so uh, you want to get it um, through the soil. You're doing all this work in your garden, say, so you want it to really count. And I must tell you, you know, this Neil Kinsey soil test, it does cost uh, a little bit of money. Okay, but even if you're doing a relatively small backyard garden, I would say, you know, so many things we spend money on, 
you look back the last year or maybe the last even month that you spent money on. You know, and so it costs $50 for a soil test. That's for me, that's a tank of gas. And um, so it's, it's well worth it if you think of all the work that you put into your garden and how valuable your health or the health of your, your children are. And then here you were asking about the nitrogen, okay? They're the uh, anions, okay, which are phosphorus, uh, nitrogen, sulfur, and, uh, and this is just telling you that actually in this test and most soil tests, they don't actually measure the nitrogen because it can change. A big thunderstorm comes and the nitrogen level changes in your soil overnight. Say. And so they go by estimated nitrogen release, which is based on your organic matter. If you have a lot of organic matter in your soil, as it breaks down over the season, the nitrogen that was in that organic matter is released to your plants. So the more organic matter you have, unless you just dumped on a bunch of sawdust, and that's your only organic matter, but a relatively good organic matter in humus, as it breaks down, it's releasing that nitrogen. The more organic matter you have, the more it's just automatically feeding. You're not having to be out there just spoon feeding your plants. Many gardeners, that's what they're doing. See, the soil is just to hold the plants up while they put on the, you know, chemical fertilizer, say. But what we want to do, we want to feed our soil, and then the soil will feed the plants even though you've already caught on that you always need to be aware of what the plants need in order to intelligently feed the soil. But it's just a different uh, approach. Yeah. And uh, we use natural things, not only organic matter or compost, but we use um, uh, rock powders, okay? Instead of chemical fertilizer, they, the chemical fertilizer industry, they take hard rock phosphate, they treat it with acid and makes it into um, available phosphorus, okay? Well, uh, after not too many weeks and months after you put that phosphorus fertilizer, chemical pho phosphorus fertilizer on your soil, most of that phosphorus locks up with the calcium in your soil and makes tricalcium phosphate, which that's rock phosphate, okay? And it's even more locked up than it was in the raw rock phosphate. So what we do in the natural fertilizer idea is we put that raw rock phosphate on and then the microbes release that because they produce mild acids and you have your own little chemical fertilizer uh, or natural fertilizer company right there in your soil, see? And the microbes are your unpaid workers down there doing all this for you. And so if you put on, um, uh, according to the soil test, the rock phosphate that's needed, of course you may not even need, your soil may not even need phosphorus, okay? When we were in Colorado, we had that granite-based soil Joel was telling you about, and that is, uh, granite is, potassium. I mean, we just had, our potassium was so high, it was causing a certain weed problems and other things. So we didn't want to put on any more potassium. See, so if you're just doing this recipe that uncle so-and-so said, oh yeah, we put green sand on every year and it makes it grow so good. Well, maybe that works back in Maine, but if you're over here where the 
Granted is, you don't want to put in any more. See, we'll save your money. See? And so uh, you want to do it intelligently, right? Yeah. Okay, and here's some of the trace elements. And again, you want to be real careful with the trace elements because you see here for boron, uh, one part per million is excellent and two parts per million is excessive or even toxic, okay? And so you want to be careful to put on just what is, you know, recommended. And if your soil needs a lot of boron, many times Neil Kinsey will put this little thing down at the bottom that says, put it on uh, this much every six months for two or three times in order to get it built up. But you'll find many soils are very low in boron, and it really um, affects the disease um, resistance of the plants and uh, the, the uh, and also nutrition. I want to get through my uh, steps to productive soil. In the next session this afternoon, we'll cover those. Uh, we'll cover those sources. Okay. Um, the next thing is you want to break up compaction. And uh, with that, you don't want to just run your tiller, you know, just three inches deep or whatever. You want to get in there with like the broad fork or uh, a tractor, get in there with some kind of subsoiler, break it up and really do deep, uh, deep tillage, good aeration. And so the roots can go deep. And of course, you want to get your amendments down in there as well. And of course, when it's all said and done with doing deep tillage, you want to then prepare a nice uh, fine seed bed and, and that kind of thing. Here we're um, doing the broad fork in the, in the greenhouse. And when you're putting on these amendments, you want to be careful to really incorporate them really well, okay? You wouldn't want to just put it on top of, you go out there in your backyard and you're going to spade up your, your grass, okay? and you put all these amendments on, then you come with your spade, and you just flip that over, and all those amendments end up in the bottom, okay? So it might be better to spade up your garden ahead of time, okay? And maybe till it, let it sit for a, a few weeks so all that sod can break down. Then when you're doing your, more of your final preparation, coming in with your tiller and tilling it all up, then you put on these, you know, um, uh, lime, and boron and zinc and, and uh, rock phosphate, and you really mix it with uh, you know, full depth of what your roots are going to be going. But these uh, broad fork or just a good spading is good to loosen it up uh, deep. Yeah. Okay, then the other thing is you want to manage nitrogen. Um, uh, and I think Joel already talked about this that if you add your nitrogen in the rotation where the nitrogen-loving crops are, and then uh, the next year when you're planting the light feeders, which would be like carrots or potatoes or whatever, you don't add that huge amount of nitrogen. You just kind of coast, okay? And then by the next year, maybe uh, the first year on a given bed, you planted uh, maybe broccoli, need a lot of nitrogen. The next year, you planted carrots and beets on that same bed. And then by then, the, the nitrogen is getting pretty low. So then you grow a soil builder, which is a legume that will actually add nitrogen 
to the soil, and then you're ready to go back and plant corn in that bed again. Okay, so that's kind of a three-year rotation you might have. But that way you will get the most bang for your buck with uh, nitrogen, which is usually the hardest one to always have it there. Okay, and then uh, this is the one I wanted to get to, is that you know many times I don't have enough uh, compost to go around to everything, so I use uh, in-row um, uh, type of nitrogen, natural nitrogen fertilizer, like alfalfa pellets or soybean meal or something like that. And um, you can get these, look, if you look for them, you can find organic alfalfa meal, organic alfalfa pellets. <clears throat> you can just till this into your bed or you can put it right beside the road, just like you would chemical fertilizer. That's why people like that. You know, you can just get it out of a bag and just sprinkle it down there. It's such a nice sanitized way to garden instead of all this yucky compost stuff, see? And so it's nice to, even where you see, oh, I didn't quite get everything done last fall to build the organic matter and everything, or I didn't hit the nitrogen level just right, so you can side dress while your plants are growing. You can, um, I take the, one of those push planters, and where the seed hopper is, I just put the uh, soybean meal in there, and I just plant that soybean meal right down beside my, my row, okay? And that will, um, you know, give the plants the, the boost they need, maybe. But most of the time, alfalfa pellets, I use that. I just, here's my bed. Let's say this is my bed. I just sprinkle those alfalfa pellets on there. And then I till it in. And uh, unless it's maybe something like beans that tend to rot in the soil or something, most of the time, alfalfa pellets will not rot your seeds. Okay, Or you can put a handful of alfalfa pellets in when you're transplanting your tomatoes. Maybe you want to plant them real early in the spring. The soil's cold. It doesn't do a good job then of, of releasing nitrogen for the plants. So you just give them that little nitrogen boost so that way the plants won't just sit there. It's real cold and they turn all colors of yellow and purple and take about two weeks to decide they're going to take off and grow. You've lost all that time, see? And so if you give them a little extra nitrogen there, um, they'll just take off and grow, but you're not giving them so much. If you give things like tomato plants too much nitrogen, you'll have a big bush, okay, and you'll be looking for the blossoms and the fruit. See? So you want to be careful you don't give too much, just enough to get them off and running, and then the, whatever, usually I'm putting compost in the hole too. Um, the compost will carry it the rest of the way uh, through the season of giving it long-term nutrition without giving it too much available nitrogen all at once. So this just, you know, kind of gives you an idea of how much to the acre and how much per 100 square feet, okay, or 100 foot of row. And uh, <clears throat> then here's soybean meal. Uh, and one caution is now both um, soybeans and now alfalfa are GMO, okay? So you want to get uh, organic uh, soybean meal or organic alfalfa meal. So you look for some organic supplier uh, for that. And 
and many times uh, you'd be surprised, not that much more expensive. <clears throat> but just a caution, the soybean meal, you know, that's a bean, and as it breaks down in the soil, it can rot your beans or other seeds. So that one I wouldn't just spread over the bed like this, unless I'm gonna give time for it to be tilled in and break down for a while. I wouldn't just sprinkle it on and then plant right away like I would with alfalfa pellets. I would put it beside the row, okay? So a lot of times I'll mark my rows for my corn, and if I think I need some extra nitrogen beyond my broadcast uh, thing that I did from my soil test, I'll just mark my rows, and then I just take my push planter again with soybean meal or alfalfa meal, and I just plant a row of nitrogen fertilizer right beside my row where I'm going to plant my corn. Then I plant the corn, and it's got it right there. Okay. <clears throat> and then growing a green manure really stimulates the microbes. And we could spend a whole hour talking about green manures, but uh, we're running out of time on that. So we'll just, we'll just let you take a picture of it. And uh, okay. <clears throat> and then, of course, resting the land. I already talked about that. Um, <clears throat> and I've done testing to uh, where I rested the land and where I didn't rest the land soil testing, and uh, it came out that the nutrient levels where I'd rested the land were, were higher. So God's just telling you, you know, without telling you all the chemistry and everything, hey, when you, you know, plant the seed, I want you to have a really good crop. So just give the soil, just like people need a rest, give the soil a rest so those nutrients can build up in the soil so you really have a, a super crop. <clears throat> Okay, and then here's a verse from the Bible that really highlights the need to pray that God will. Um, again, he's doing the big part. We're just cooperating with him. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. So we need to pray that God will uh, teach us how to uh, be good cooperators with him. Okay, I guess we've pretty well used up the time, but maybe there's somebody who has a question here. Yeah, yeah, good question. The question is, uh, what happens to the soil that's uh, fertilized with chemical fertilizer? Well, if you put chemi chemical fertilizer on your soil, it's not necessarily poisoned, okay? It's the same chemistry that, you know, is in there already. It just... It's an easy thing to put too much on, okay? And it's just like with uh, uh, human nutrition, okay? It's best to eat a variety of natural foods rather than to take concentrated pills which could give you imbalances in nutrition. So it's the same thing. It's very easy to put too much nitrogen, okay? Which actually overstimulates the microbes and they always want a balanced diet between carbon and nitrogen. So if they get too much nitrogen, they go looking for some carbon to go with the nitrogen. And guess what will happen? They will go and eat, burn up more organic matter, okay? And actually then, that, as they burn up that humus, it releases all the micronutrients that are in the humus. So you grow a beautiful crop with that NPK fertilizer. 
but the next year you've burned up some of your bank account and it takes even more chemical fertilizer to do it and that burns up more humus, okay? And so it's a vicious cycle that you are getting less and less response out of more and more. It's, you know, so that's only one little example of, hey, just try to cooperate with the natural system instead of, you know, come in and override it type of thing. Yeah. Are there books and DVDs that will remind us of all these details that, that are hard to write down? <clears throat> yeah, that's a good question. <clears throat> yeah, here's a sales job for my uh, uh, book, which is back there on the uh, Thy Word Creations uh, table, mm -hmm. and it says Eden Valley Seminar Handbook. And it has 10 DVDs with it. Uh, so if you're interested in that. And then over on the Ad Agra um, table, they have some really good ones there. Uh, the one by Elliot Coleman, Four Season Harvest, is, I would say, very good. It's a cutting edge, but in very simple, uh, simple terms. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can over, over till, uh, maybe like Joel was saying, over whiz your soil, yeah. okay? You're trying to develop a texture by just whizzing it. Well, the texture is going to be improved by adding organic matter. And you can use a rototiller to incorporate the organic matter, okay? But you just, you, it's a necessary evil, you might say. So don't be afraid of tilling your soil, but don't just till it to death. You know, you just think of what you can do to get the job done. Um, <clears throat> And this afternoon, I'm going to continue here. First, my son will give you the whole thing about how to do vegetarian compost. And then I'll show you a series of slides. Of, we just took a bed, and we did it by hand, digging it up and adding the amendments and the compost so you can kind of, again, you can picture. Oh, yeah, because if I see something, then, oh, I can do that. Yeah, that's how all that complicated stuff works. So we're going to do this. Well, yeah, I mean, tillage is also to prepare a seed bed, okay? But many times I try to do the deep tillage maybe in the fall because then it's usually nice and dry. Don't be afraid to do it in the spring. But then it's already done. So you even form your beds and everything, and then you just go out there and plant your early salad mix, and you're not trying to, when it's too wet, do some super tillage type of thing. So you kind of you kind of have to work with the cycles of weather, nature, type of thing. Yeah. On the way up, the uh, yeah, at the bottom of this uh, that I had up here that kind of walked you through um, his soil test, it gives his address there. Yeah, and I think they have his uh, books back here at the Ad Agra uh, table. Yeah, but if you just, uh, if you just Google uh, Kinsey Agricultural Services or Kinsey Ag, um, it'll, it'll come up there and you can download the form and he has a whole page there, how to take a soil test and, and so forth. Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. If you do this test, you only have to do this like once every three to five years, okay? In fact, you don't want to come back and test it again before three years. Otherwise, you'll have to tell them what you'd, what you'd put on so recently because that will throw the test off, okay? So you put that all on, and these are, these are rock powders and so forth. So they'll take several years, three years to release, 
And so you don't even want to test again before then. And like I said, though, many times they'll give you things that you need to do over time to get your soil up to where it should be. So you're not getting one year's recommendation. You're getting maybe two years recommendation. And if you don't understand something on the soil test, you just call up their office, okay, and pester them and say, well, I can't find this, or this is too expensive. Isn't there some way I can just put on enough to this year? And, and then, of course, that's when you're doing it by the acre, but we've done that, okay? Oh yeah, you can cut that boron in half and you'll still, and then you can put the rest of it on next year or whatever. So you've got some advice on the other end and hey, when you're paying 50 bucks, man, I want to squeeze all the benefit out of it that I can. <laughs> and that's the way you get educated, see? Because when you get that test, there'll be so many things. Well, I thought that if it had this much, they would only recommend this. They would recommend both calcium and magnesium. And so you call them up and say, well, why are you doing this? And then they'll tell you, well, when you put on more calcium, it sweeps some of the magnesium under the rug. And so you need more magnesium. Well, who cares? You guys take care of that. Sure, I'll just put on what you said. But you, they'll educate you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, see, if you're starting on raw land, you can just do a rule of thumb and put on like that chart. 40 tons of the acre of this and this. But again, you may be even messing up your soil. Don't be afraid to grow a garden without a soil test. We fear you might mess it up. But before you do anything, that's the best time to do it, okay? Joel went to Monument Valley and he started putting on sheep manure that they'd rounded up there in their sheep pens. And it was causing him all kinds of problems because of what? Sodium, potassium. And so he sent a test to Neil Kinsey, and Neil Kinsey said, yeah, don't put that on. And he had all those bean splits, and Neil Kinsey said, that's the exact thing your soil needs. And he had so much of it free. And so he just put that on, his soil was so good, all it needed was just a little bit of trace elements. And it was so great, but he, you know, by doing it blindly, he was causing himself so much problems, he had to even scrape some of the soil off. As a problem, and just by doing that test, it put him right in the driver's seat type of thing. Yeah. Okay, maybe we should wind up here. If you uh, have any more questions, we'll be glad to answer them. And of course, we're going to do the rest of this soil thing this afternoon, so we'll have more time for questions. Yeah. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.